Hello, I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And we're in a series on praise, thanksgiving and worship and we're focusing on praise right now and how praise benefits us. Last time we saw six ways and we're going to continue on this line to motivate us to really make praise our lifestyle. Six ways in which uh, God works in our lives through pr praise. Number one, we saw that praise brings us into God's presence and his presence into our hearts. Number two, through praise God brings us into total victory. Number three, praise releases the glory of God in our lives. Number four, praise delivers us from the spirit of heaviness and depression. Number five, praise is beautiful and beautifies us and our character. And number six, we saw last which was that praise releases spiritual strength into our hearts for living, empowering us to do God's will. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And I just want to give one example of that before we, we move on to the, point, the seventh point. Um, an example of praise being important in releasing strength in our hearts, especially in difficult circumstances. You'll notice that, for instance, James says that when you fall into the sudden trials, rejoice. It's important that you, re you, you react, that you respond. You don't let trials and setbacks overcome you. What's really important is how you respond, to respond with praise and thanksgiving that God is going to work and God's going to turn it around. That's really important that we do that. And one reason for that is that by praising God, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It brings strength into our hearts to react and to do the right thing under that pressure, under that setback. Otherwise, if we just react in the flesh, we'll just make things worse. And so that key to reacting in God, in the spirit, is to praise God. You know, it's not so much what happens to you that defines your, your destiny. It's how you respond to what happens to you. That's your responsibility, is how you respond to situations. And so it says certain things that happen to you, you can't control, but you can control how you respond. And the key response is to rejoice in God, to thank God, to move in praise, and then you will have the strength in your heart to do the right thing. Well, a classic example of that is what happened to David, and I doubt anything that happens to you will, will be as bad as this. Um, Terrible difficulty David faced. Uh, let's look in 1 Samuel 30. David and his men have been uh, away and they return to their home base at Ziglag and only to discover that it had been attacked by the Amalekites. All their wives and all their stuff had, had been taken. And the, all of David's men, who, who were generally very loyal to him, were in such despair that even his own men wanted to take his life. We read that in verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Notice, he strengthened himself in the Lord him, his God. Now, if he just yielded to the flesh, followed his natural feelings, he would have gone down the tubes, just like everyone else. Everything would have been lost. But instead, he strengthened himself in the Lord. How did he do that? By meditating God's promises to him, thanking God, and praising God. 
claiming his promises that God you're with me you're my covenant partner you're going to help me through this and as he praised God he received strength in his heart to carry on to bounce back uh, instead of just being paralyzed by despair and so the strength of the Lord came into his heart that gave him hope that God God will God is bigger than this situation and, and so as he praised, he magnified God and he, he, he began to have hope again. And that put the fight back in him. And so it says that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. And so David and his men pursued the Amalekites. God supernaturally led them to where they were. And they attacked and defeated them, recovered all their possessions and their wives, and as well as taking all the other possessions of the Amalekites too. So they ended up with far more than they actually uh, had originally. And so in the same way, when you are knocked down by life, by, by a bad event, the key is to, like David, strengthen yourself in the Lord. How do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? The joy of the Lord is your strength you start praising God, you start thanking God for his promises, you're just thanking that he loves you, that he's working in your life. And as you strengthen yourself in the Lord, God will put the fight and the hope back inside you, and you'll be able to rise up and recover all. Hallelujah. And so that is our sixth point, sixth benefit of praise. Praise releases spiritual strength into our hearts for, for life. Now we want to look at a seventh benefit of praise. Through a lifestyle of praise, we pursue God and we bring our hearts increasingly into submission to God and into harmony with God. That's really one of the greatest benefits of praise. Again, we've seen it before. Psalm 22, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of your people. So our praises build a throne for God to come and sit and, and reign. It, it invites his presence in our heart. When we praise God, his, by his spirit he comes and, and he sits upon the throne of our heart. And that means that our heart comes into submission to him. It comes into harmony with him. And that's evidenced by the peace of God filling our hearts. It's the peace of God that tells you you're in harmony with God. We want the peace of God to fill us and to possess our hearts. Well, King David is a great example of this because God called him a man after his own heart. Interesting phrase. Acts 13.22, it says that when God had removed Saul, he raised up for Israel David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And so his obedience, doing God's will, was actually a manifestation of the fact that he, he was a man after God's own heart. He, his heart and God's heart were in tune. And the basis of this is God's word to Saul in 1 Samuel 13. It says, Samuel said to Saul, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself 
a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. And so God's requirement really for a leader is a man, that he be a man after his own heart. If you want to have authority, uh, God's authority working in your life, you need to have um, be a person after God's own heart. That's where Saul failed, but that's where David had that heart. Didn't mean David was perfect, but he had a heart after God's own heart. So Saul lost the kingship, even though if you look at, look at him, he was very promising. He, nat, in, naturally, he had a number of very good qualities that should have made him a good king, but the one issue was he was not a man after God's own heart. And this was manifested in his rebellion, at, at not obeying God's command. David was chosen because he was a man after God's own heart. What does this actually mean, though? I, there are two aspects to this. First of all, David was a man who was after God's heart in the sense that he pursued after God's heart. He wanted to know God, and he pursued God through praise. He wanted to know God personally, and so he was a man who was after, who was seeking after God's own heart. And we see that, of course, his lifestyle of praise from the book of Psalms, the longest book of the Bible, and much of it was written by David himself. He, of all people, had a heart of praise to God. And so many of these Psalms were actually written by David when he was under, under pressure, on the run from Saul. And so he, he developed a heart of praise in good times and in bad times. And as a result of him continually turning to God in these situations and pursuing God with praise, his heart came into submission to God. And this is the second aspect. When we have a heart that pursues after God, the result is that we have a heart that is, comes into submission to God. Uh, and when we are submitted to God, we obey him. And so it says that because he was a man after God's heart, he actually did all God's will. That is the fruit of a submitted heart. And so this is the second part of being a man's a heart, a man after God's heart. In fact, in, in Acts 13, where it says that David was a man after God's own heart, the word after there is kata. And in the Greek, kata means underneath, under, submitted to, under the control of, you might say. And so it's saying that he was a man under God's heart, under the submission to God's heart. In other words, his heart was in harmony with God's heart, was submitted to God's heart. Through praise, he had brought his heart into submission to God's heart, into harmony with God's desires and laws. Psalm 119 is, is the classic example of that. So, by pursuing God with praise, David's heart came into alignment with God's heart and making him a man after God's heart. So the quality and strength of heart that he developed through a lifestyle of praise is what qualified him and prepared him to be the great leader that he was of God's people. And so for us to be men and women of God in the same way, people that God can trust, we must Keep bringing our hearts into God's presence through praise and worship and 
then God's Spirit can actually bring our heart into a sweet submission and harmony with himself so that we delight to do his will. And we become then people after God's own heart, just like David, and thereby give God much pleasure and glory from our life. Hallelujah. Well, that's point number seven. Now, point number eight is that praise, thanksgiving, and worship are foundational for our moral virtue and our moral character. You know, sometimes uh, we think that somebody is moral if they've been brought up well, but actually, if they don't know God, if they're, that morality will gradually be corrupted more and more because the foundation for our morality is actually the presence of God in our life. Without the presence of God, it, morality crumbles and crushes. A man's morality, his values, his convictions, is not the deepest thing about him. These qualities depend on something deeper and more fundamental. His morality is his righteousness. And it's, his, it's another word of saying the same thing. His righteousness, his morality. He is right in the way he deals in situations and with people. And so his righteousness, his morality, governs how he acts in this world. But deeper than that is his holiness. And his holiness is the presence of God in his life, how much God possesses him. It's determined by his submission to God, his godliness, his connection with God. The stronger his submission to God, the more he's possessed by God's Spirit, the holier he is. And the holiness, your holiness is the basis for your righteousness. A man's holiness ultimately determines his righteousness before men. He might be brought up, you know, as a child with good values and morality, but without a living connection to God, what will happen as his life goes on is that his morality is actually a hollow shell. Uh, and it will compromise more and more under the pressure, under the spirit of the world. It will get weaker and weaker because there's nothing underneath it to sustain it. Over time, this emptiness and this weakness gets revealed. The real strength and greatness of a person, as in the physical, is what they call the core strength, your core strength, the strength of your core. And the core strength of a man, I like to think of it as, as three in three circles. We'd, man, God, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Well, these are the three things in the heart. Now, the inner core is his dedication to God. Like I said, his holiness, the, his connection, the strength of his connection to the life of God. And that is also governs the level of God's presence, the level of God's love in him. That inner core is the base of God's operation in a man. Then is his middle core, which is his morality, his integrity, his righteousness in this life. And, and as he is more and more submitted to God, as more of God's life and love comes into him, that feeds into that core, into that morality, and makes it stronger. So as he's in fellowship with God, that, will, that spirit of God in him will strengthen his morality, his righteousness. But if he is not in fellowship with God, if there's no connection there, this morality will gradually get weakened over time by the pressures, by the spirit of this world. 
And then the, the outer core of, of a man is his authority. And that's what people are more able to kind of measure. And, uh, and our righteousness actually is the basis for our ability and our right to carry authority. And our righteousness underneath that is our holiness, our submission to God. Of course, most people just want to look successful. They want to increase their outer core. They want to look like they're the man. They, they have authority. They are powerful. But the real key to growth is, is not to fake an external authority, but it's to build up our inner core. Like somebody will say at the gym, your real key to fitness is to build your core, your inner core. Because if you build your inner core, God's life flows from that inner core will automatically strengthen your morality and then there will be a foundation for you to operate in greater authority to rule and reign in life. And so our submission to God is the ultimate basis for our morality and our true spiritual authority. And uh, you know, as we've seen, we build our inner core submission to God and our connection to God through through praise and worship. By praising God, we are actually establishing God. We're enthroning God as the first and the highest one in our life. And the more we enthrone him in that way, the more now that, that his, his spirit will cause our moral character to become stronger and our behavior to become better. But it starts with our praise and worship. And we see that uh, albeit in the negative way, we see that in Romans 1, where Paul describes this same progression. And it helps us to understand what happens to people. Why, do they, why is there this downward decline in people and in societies when they turn away from God? And Romans 1 describes it perfectly. He, he describes the decline in man's morality and behavior and, and in society and he gives the root of the problem. And he doesn't try and give a superficial analysis, or oh, they just need to behave better. He actually describes that the root of the problem is the corruption of their worship. You've got to go deeper even than morality, because underneath morality is the issue of worship. Who do you worship and how do you worship? You see, he explains that when man loses his reverence, for God, his worship of God, and his sense of accountability to God, that God is above him, and his living connection to God, then he will lose his morality, he will lose his righteousness, he'll lose his moral compass, and increasingly then becomes a slave to his sinful desires. So his praise and worship of God is foundational to his morality. When he stops honoring and worshiping God, then the downhill slide is inevitable. Let, let's just read that in Romans 1. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are not without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. There was the start of the problem. They did not glorify him as God. They did not praise him. Nor were they thankful. Praise and thanksgiving. But as a result of not praising and thanking God, they became futile in their thoughts. That means empty, emptiness 
in their thoughts. There's no substance now. And it says their foolish hearts were darkened. Darkness now comes into their soul. See, when you praise God and worship God, substance and life and the presence of God comes into your heart, which strengthens you to live right. But when they stop worshipping God, their hearts become empty and dark. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed or exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. In other words, he's saying instead of worshipping God, they are now starting to worship idols and images. They worship things in the creation rather than the creator. They seek meaning in the creation rather than the creator. He says, they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Notice the progression. It starts with the spiritual. This at the beginning is to they stop their praise and their worship and their honoring of God. It starts, the problem is ultimately spiritual. He stops being thankful to God. He still stops acknowledging God as the source. Instead of looking to God as the ultimate source of life and reality, he looks to, for meaning in the creation. Even seeing himself, man, that's the, the height of sin. To see man as the highest reality, that's humanism. Secular humanism is, is in a sense, the, the darkest of all. And um, that creation is just the image of reality. God is reality. Anything in creation is just the image of reality. And so by worshipping, we substitute the worship of God with the, sub with the worship of things in creation. And this is idolatry, and that's the root of all sin. The heart departs from the living God and finds meaning in these other things. And so that's where it begins. And then Paul says, as a result, darkness comes into his soul, into his heart, his mind, his emotions. He, he, he becomes blinded. He doesn't see God. He doesn't see the truth of God. And his moral values become corrupted. <coughs> And he loses his moral bearings. And then Paul says the result of that then man is manifested in his body, in his behavior. It says it shows itself in a dishonorable use of their bodies. He says God gave them up to uncleanness to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And so it shows in their physical behavior. Uh, but the physical behaviors, which is we're most aware of, is is actually the result, ultimately, of the spiritual issue of idolatry, of rejecting God and finding meaning in something else. The spiritual sin began the rot, and then it gets manifested in the soul and in the body. So, Satan showed that he understood that. The, the issue of worship is the fundamental issue that determines everything else. It determines our moral character, it determines our behavior. Why? Because in Matthew chapter 4, he offered Jesus the glory of all the kingdoms of the world. If only Jesus would just fall down and worship him. You might think, well, just one act of worship, what, what does that, you know, isn't that a good deal kind of thing? Uh, but Jesus knew and Satan knew that once he had someone's worship, 
That is the, 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 the defining thing about that person. Once Satan, if he could, and of course there was no way Jesus was going to do that, but if he could have Jesus' worship, then his whole being would then fall under the power of Satan. Darkness would then come into his soul and then all his actions would come under the power of sin. By getting Jesus' worship, he would have the complete victory over him. And so it is absolutely essential. What defines who you are is who do you worship and how much do you worship God? And the way out of moral darkness and the way out of wrong behaviors, the key to get free from a sinful lifestyle is to set our hearts and minds on the Lord and give him first place, give him our praise and worship. And once we start worshiping God with all our hearts and make that our number one thing, then that will cause the light and the love of God's presence to come in to our hearts and our minds and remove the darkness from the, that's in there and the emptiness of our thoughts. And our hearts will come more and more into that light and our moral values will be restored and we'll begin to hate evil rather than enjoy evil, as it were. And our motivations will be changed and our righteousness will come forth. And his presence in us will empower us to live a life that's governed by love. But it all starts with praise and worship. That's the key. That's where it begins. Where we've gone wrong is not worshiping God as we ought. Where we can put things right is start to worship God as we ought. And then his spirit comes into us and it, it will restore our morality. And then that will ultimately change our behavior and the way we live. Praise and worship, therefore, is essential for us to restore and to build and to strengthen our moral strength and character. It's so important. Next time we'll continue looking at the benefits of praise and worship. I'm pleased to present my new book, my commentary on the book of Revelation. It's available in this size for £15, but also in the A4 size, extra large size, for £30. And uh, we're talking about praise, and one thing that will cause you to praise and glorify God is the revelation in the book of Revelation about the glory of Jesus. Let me encourage you to really understand this book in a new, deeper way through, through reading this book. Uh, as I say, it's a commentary that goes verse by verse in detail through the book of Revelation. I think it will cause you to inspire you, to glorify God as never before. Hopefully you are encouraged and fired up to really want to praise God like you've never done before. Let me give you some more fuel to add to that fire, which is my eight CD series on praise. This will give you the scripture and the inspiration to really change your life in this way and really come into the fullness that God has for you. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH. You can order CDs, DVDs, books and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 
0800 086 